Please join me in prayer. Holy God, we thank you for the ways that you have spoken to us of old through your many prophets and apostles and preachers. And we thank you for the great cloud of witnesses who have stood and listened and heeded your word. We pray that you would help us to hear this word anew today. Help us also to lift our hearts and hands in rejoicing. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's reading from the Hebrew Bible may sound familiar if you've ever been part of a building campaign in a church. Nehemiah is known for having helped lead a campaign to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple of God following the Babylonian exile. So churches today sometimes use this story as a way of motivating people to contribute to rebuilding projects. We remember that God is the repairer of the breach, the one who restores the fortunes of the people. We celebrate the call to honor God by supporting church structures. And this chapter in particular recalls what a joy and gift it is to have a time and a space for reading and proclaiming God's word. It's fun to read in this section how at the dedication ceremony, Nehemiah assembled the people to listen to a reading of the Hebrew Bible that it went on for some seven hours. And the people were so moved by God's word that they wept. Then the prophet Ezra encouraged them to let go of their sadness, and he proclaimed a feast, a great celebration, so that the people would rejoice and be glad instead. It was a beautiful occasion, and in some ways, every preacher's dream. If only every congregation was willing to build a new sanctuary, listen to scripture for seven hours straight, weep at the beauty of it, and then share a feast together. Ah, Christendom. But of course, there is more to this story, as there usually is. I'm not going to keep you here for seven hours in in order to explain all the details, but during the season of Advent, it's important to at least recognize that all was not well in this story of Ezra and Nehemiah. The people did still have need of a Savior. There were many reasons that God felt the need to come to earth in the person of Jesus, and this story highlights one in particular. If I were to summarize it in a word, it would be walls. The walls. Nehemiah was all about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and the walls of the temple, which was problematic because walls, while they sometimes offer protection, they can also be divisive, to say the least. They can be used to create boundaries, to exclude, to determine who is in and who is out. And that's also what was going on during this famous building campaign. Ezra and Nehemiah were leaders who had recently returned home to Israel from captivity in Babylon to find that the residents who had been left behind in their homeland had intermarried with their historic enemies, people like the Canaanites and the Moabites. Well, Ezra did not like this, and he decided to put a stop to it. 
So he told the people about the conquest of the promised land, and he preached that God's people must remain separate and pure. Ezra preached that those other people must be expelled from their land, or maybe annihilated. And then at the end of the book of Ezra, which is just before this, he declared that those people who had had already married foreign wives must cast them out, divorce them, send them away. Children of those marriages would also have to go. And amazingly, the people complied. There was great mourning, but they prepared to send away large numbers of people, members of their own families. Can you imagine? Well, at the same time, Nehemiah began this campaign to rebuild the walls of the city so that they could then keep the foreigners from returning for good. The preacher Ezra doesn't appear again until this chapter at the dedication of the walls. He's the one who read the scripture for seven hours straight and preached on it. And when the people began to weep, he told them to cut it out. Why do you suppose they were weeping? The people again complied. They stopped their weeping and they rejoiced instead. But should we assume that God was pleased that the walls had been put up and the foreigners were being expelled? Again, it's Advent, so we're looking forward to Jesus coming to town. It's always good to wonder what Jesus would have thought about all of this. Jesus, who had ancestors like Rahab, a Canaanite woman, and Ruth, a Moabite woman. We know Jesus' family welcomed astrologers from the east at his birth. And then they spent some time as refugees, foreigners in the land of Egypt, fleeing the persecution of their own people's leadership. So I suspect that one reason Jesus came to town was because God was not too happy about the walls that Ezra and Nehemiah had built. We see this in Jesus' first sermon among his people, too. In Luke chapter 4, when he read from the prophet Isaiah about God's vision for justice, Jesus criticized his people's exclusivity by pointing out God's love and care for foreigners and enemies. He talked about how he had come to tear down the walls of hostility, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim peace to people far and people near. Jesus was there to take down the walls that Ezra and Nehemiah had built. So the people tried to push him off the edge of a cliff. Because, of course, walls tend to be more popular than inclusion. They were then, and they, they are now. I'll share a few modern-day examples of this, beginning with the most infamous, Nazi Germany. I'm sure you can probably already see the parallels, right? Hopefully we remember how Hitler sought to expel Jews and people of color and gay people from his country. He then tried to annihilate them 
and the German state church supported that exclusion at the time. They preached, as Ezra did, that God wanted racial and cultural purity for the German people. Other followers of Jesus around the world said, no, that is not what God desires. And yet, even after the Nazis were defeated, walls continued to be built around Europe in particular. In post-war Germany, there was then a wall that divided the country east and west, intending to separate communists from capitalists. And then there were walls in other places like uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland, where there were and still are walls separating Catholics and Protestants. I lived there for a year, so I saw them firsthand. They call them peace walls because they're supposed to keep the two groups from throwing rocks at each other. But the real issue there, as it is in a lot of places, is the same issue of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's about cultural purity and intermarriage. The walls keep the Catholics and the Protestants from getting to know each other, lest they discover that they're all Christians, all theoretically preaching the same gospel of peace. And sadly, this is still going on in the Middle East as well, where the modern nation of Israel has built walls to exclude their Palestinian neighbors, setting up apartheid-like conditions for non-Jews, restricting how people come and go, who is in, who is out. We may shake our heads and weep at the sad injustice of it, the way families are callously being torn apart. But what can we do? Well, I want to tell you about one action I read about recently, the way that one group has been trying to take down walls in the way of Jesus. It's not about those other walls around the world, but rather here at home, since we have some of our own. One in particular that causes a lot of harm is a 455-mile fence that stretches along the southern border of our country. It's grown significantly in recent decades, and it operates much the same way that all those other walls have throughout history. It's there to keep foreigners out. If we have people in our land that we want to expel, we deport them. And if there are others who want to come here for a better life, maybe because they're fleeing violence or poverty, this wall keeps them at bay, or at least makes it so that they may die trying to get across. This border wall divides families and communities since some people get to stay here legally and others do not. There's one part of this wall between Tijuana and San Diego where people can see each other through the fence. And sometimes they can even touch hands. It's a place where those who have been separated due to exclusionary policies can meet on special occasions, albeit through wire. So some years ago, there was a group that decided it would be good to have a shared worship service with people on both sides of the fence. As a show of unity, they would take communion together 
as one body, connected by the Son of God whose love knows no borders. So they went to do this, passing the wine and the bread through the wire fence. But you know, it's illegal to transport goods across the border outside of customs. So some of those folks were arrested for serving communion. Of course, this only encouraged the Christians who participated, so they kept coming back. Someone then had the idea of adding a posada liturgy during the season of Advent. Posada is a Spanish word meaning inn or shelter. And in Mexico and some other countries, there's a traditional gathering by this name based on the story of Mary and Joseph and the innkeeper. The way it goes is that in some places is that the the congregation is divided in two parts, with one speaking or singing the role of Mary and Joseph looking for a place at the inn, and the other side says or speaks the part of the innkeeper. So Joseph says, En el nombre del cielo, in the name of heaven, os pido posada, I ask you for shelter. Pues no puede andar mi esposa amada, for my beloved wife can go no further. And the innkeeper then responds, Aquí no es mesón, this is not an inn. Sigan adelante, get on with you. Yo no puedo abrir, I cannot open the door. No sea algún tunante, you might be a criminal. In the traditional liturgy, eventually, the innkeeper relents. He or she is meant to say, Enter, holy pilgrims. Receive this corner. For though this dwelling is poor, I offer it with all my heart. And Jose is meant to respond, Blessed is this house that gives us shelter. And then the whole assembly is meant to sing together, Tonight is a night for joy for gladness and rejoicing. For tonight we will give lodging to the holy family, the family of the Son of God. Thus the Christ child is welcomed, and there is a huge fiesta, a celebration of holy hospitality. Kind of like at the end of the book of Nehemiah, where the ancient Israelites, after the the reading, they, they throw a feast. They stop their weeping. But there at the U.S.-Mexico border, there can be no shared feast at the end of this liturgy. Because after the reading has ended, the wall is still there dividing the people. So instead, they continue by simply reciting the truth. On the Mexican side, Mary shouts through the closed fence, No seas inhumano, don't be inhuman. Tenos caridad, have mercy on us. Que el Dios de los cielos te lo premirará, so that the God in heaven will reward you. And then the innkeeper, those on the U.S. side, they say, ya se pueden ir, you can go now. 
y no molestar, and don't bother me. Porque si me enfado, because if I become angry, los voy a apelar, apalear. I'm going to beat you up. Each year since 1994, some part of the service has been performed as a witness. A performance of what should not happen, what should not be, and yet is. So that we would be reminded of what Christmas is all about. God's Son coming into the world as a stranger in order to take down walls, in order that God's people might find lodging and be saved. This witness has, has bolstered a revival of the sanctuary movement in which churches not just on the border but around the country have taken in migrants as a way of welcoming Christ into their lives and their homes. We know the physical border wall, it still exists and it causes great harm. But those who follow Jesus can still do what they can to love across borders, across cultures, to take down the wall of hostility by welcoming whatever strangers God has put in our path. And friends, this is the message of Christmas. That the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us so that our seven hours of listening to the story would not be in vain. God comes to earth not to condemn us for the many walls that we have built, but to help us to work around them and to deconstruct them so that all God's children would be able to feast together in the kingdom of God. When our Lord returns to us, May he say to us also, truly, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Amen.